Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Let's pray again, if you would. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather together on this beautiful Christmas morning. Thank you so much for uh, those uh, that are joining us that uh, have made you a priority this morning when the world says there's a lot of other priorities that we should have. Thank you for those that are at home watching online and those that wanted to be with us that could not. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you and just praise you on this Christmas morning. Lord, we thank you so much for what you did for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so, Father, we just pray a blessing over the service and over those that have gathered as we look at your word and your story. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you would, this morning on this beautiful Christmas morning, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Kids, you can help your parents find that spot in the Bible, I'm sure. And uh, for those of you that would rather just read along on the screen, uh, I've got it up here uh, for you to look at. So we're going to look at Luke's account this morning. And don't worry, kids, I have boiled this down to only about an hour and a half. And so we should be able to get you guys out of here shortly. Luke, I'm kidding, Madeline. It's a joke. That is joking. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 goes like this. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was in the, excuse me, and so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8, Now there, was, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12, And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there, will, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 15, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things in which was told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all, things, all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
verse 20, And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And so, we have the Christmas story. And what we find in this Christmas story is a a very uh, uncommon theme that goes throughout uh, Luke chapter 2. But it begins with two common people. Common parents. In fact, when you look at uh, Mary and Joseph, there was absolutely nothing extraordinary about either one of them. They came from not a a lot of wealth. In fact, uh, while they weren't impoverished, they weren't in complete poverty, uh, they were likely lower middle class. Uh, Joseph, likely the son of a carpenter, which is where he would have gotten his carpentry trade from. And so no one would have looked at these two and said, wow, what an amazing young couple. Even the town that they were from, Nazareth, which is located in the northern Galilee region of the northern part of Israel, was thought to be very common. In fact, in the story of Jesus in John chapter 1, when Philip was trying to convince his friend Nathaniel to come and see this Messiah that had come to Israel, he was so very excited, and he said, you've got to come meet Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said to him, here in In John chapter 1, verse 46, I put it on the screen. Uh, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. And so Nathaniel's response to Philip was, really? Nazareth? Like such a podunk little town. It would be like someone coming to you and saying, "Uh, the Messiah has been born. He's in West Union. And you're like, what in the world? Like, West Union doesn't even have a Dollar General. How can they have the Messiah? Now they do have some fantastic fish. So you can kind of make some of the parallels here. But the the idea is, uh, what is so special about Nazareth? And the answer was uh, nothing. It was not extraordinary whatsoever. And so you have these two very uh, common young people. In fact, uh, Joseph was so common, when I think about him, I think back to uh, a classic country music song. This one's for you, Jake Holt. I think of John Conley. Right? For any of you John Conley fans, he would sing, I'm just a common man, drive a common van. My dog ain't got no pedigree. And if I had my say, I'd stay that way. And a common man is what I'll be. I mean, that's Joseph, right? He is a common man. No one would give him a second look until a very uncommon night. You see, for Mary, she was visited by an angel. And what we find is as she is visited by this angel in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 would come to pass where Isaiah would write, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God in the flesh. Now this prophecy took place 700 years before this very night that we're talking about. So you can imagine three times older than our country is how long this prophecy had been around. People had dreamed about the virgin that would conceive and bear a son and deliver Israel. But they would have never considered what it would have been like for the mom who would have been the virgin who had conceived that likely nobody believed her story, including her own uh, soon-to-be husband. And so here you have Joseph betrothed to Mary. This is uh, not like engagement in our day, but a legal contract. Joseph had already paid the dowry. They were already committed to one another. And the only thing stopping them was Joseph going back to his father's house to prepare the house to bring his new bride to so that they could then consummate the marriage and start a family together. 
And so you see in this story, Joseph, well, he, he has a very uncommon reaction. And it's not before the angel visits because even, or it's not after the angel visits him because even before the angel showed up, Joseph loved Mary enough, he decided to just divorce her quietly. Not even ask for the dowry back, just walk away from the relationship. That is until the angel comes. And Joseph responding in a very uncommon way through an uncommon uh, greeting by an angel decides to go forward with the marriage and to take Mary as his wife. And so they continue on their journey and they begin to make their way down to Bethlehem. And the reason this is so very important because for Mary and Joseph, these two kids from Nazareth, they've got an issue. The issue is Micah chapter 5 verse 2 gives a prophecy. This contemporary to Isaiah gives a prophecy that says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. This prophecy also 700 years before the Messiah would show up on the scene was given that he would be born not in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem, which is some 80 miles to the south of Nazareth. Now for us, right now, uh, we are transient. We've got cars, we've got planes, 80 miles is nothing for us. But in that day and age, uh, the most that they could travel by foot, especially with a lady who was pregnant, was 8 to 10 miles a day. So you can imagine now they've got to make this journey. And the reason they've got to make this journey, I love this, because the most powerful man in all the world said so. God moved on the heart of Caesar Augustus to make a decree to have a census all so Scripture could be fulfilled. God even used taxes in order for his will to be done, right? Now, that's a serious deal. God's in taxes? Absolutely he is. He can allow all things so that his will might be done. And so Mary and Joseph make this journey 80 miles uh, to the south in the most unlikely of circumstances. And you can imagine for Joseph, he's now going to take a pregnant lady on a 10-day trip on the back of a donkey. If any of you have ever traveled with a lady who's pregnant, you know how not enjoyable that is for everybody. Every few minutes, you know she's saying, oh, Yosef, Yosef, I, I have to go pee again. And immediately Joseph's like, but woman, we just went to the bathroom. Can't you just make it to green? They have a loves and a naf naf. It's wonderful there. I said, no, Joseph, please pull over. Fine, fine. Every few minutes, pulling over. And so this trip was all, though, so Jesus could be born in Bethlehem. And I love this picture because Bethlehem, translated in Hebrew, means house of bread. What does Jesus say about himself in John chapter 6? But I am the bread of life. The very bread of life is born in the town that is called house of bread. And so a beautiful picture that's happening. So as we arrive to the text this morning, and verse 7 is where I want to focus. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so as they arrived to the town of Bethlehem, which now the entire country has had to go back to the place of their forefathers, when they arrive, there is no room. There is no place for them to be able to stay. And so the only place is essentially the stable with the animals. And so as I was praying through uh, what to share with you on this Christmas morning, 
I was praying, Lord, this week, would you, would you give me something? Would you give me a special perspective to share? Because this story has been told all kinds of times. And so I was praying like, Lord, would you give me a perspective from Mary's vantage point or Joseph or even the shepherds? Last year, he, he gave me this beautiful message about the shepherds and what it would look like from them. Or I'm like, Lord, even the angels, like the angels would be awesome. And instead, what he gave me was uh, the manger. I'm like, really? The manger? Like, you mean the whole manger scene? He's like, no, no, the manger. I'm thinking, Lord, it's going to be 11 years before we have Christmas Day, uh, Sunday again, and I get a chance to share. Half of my family is going to be moved out of the house by then, and, and you are going to have me speak about an inanimate object. Like, that's the thing? Yet he kept impressing upon my heart throughout the week. I want you to focus on a manger. And so, because I'm hard-headed, it took me a couple days, but I began to research and focus in on the manger. Now, when we see nativity scenes, what you find is that the manger is this beautiful uh, crib that's been formed out of wood, and that's where the baby lay. And I was surprised when I went back and looked at uh, uh, the manger to find that a manger is, in fact, a feeding trough. Not made out of wood typically in that day, but usually hewn, carved out of stone. It was a giant a concrete a trough that they used to feed animals in. Cold and dead and ordinary. Absolutely no one would have given it a second look. In fact, anybody would have just walked on by. There was no value in the manger. That is until Jesus the thing that gave the manger value, the thing that gave it purpose, that actually put it at the forefront, at the, the central focal point of every nativity scene, was Jesus. He brought the value. He gave it life, if you will. And so as a result, now the manger that was overlooked, undervalued, passed by, everyone said it had no purpose, full of slop, became the very place that incarnate deity was laid. God in the flesh. Now, could anybody look at the manger and say, you are so holy, manger. The reason God would put himself in you is because you are so righteous. I mean, look at the way you conduct yourself as a manger. No. That's ridiculous. The manger had no righteousness. It had no value. It had nothing to offer. The only thing the manger had was a place for Jesus to lay. And so the righteousness, the holiness, was all about him, you see. It had nothing to do with the manger itself. And I share that because I think oftentimes this is exactly how we feel overlooked, undervalued, unappreciated. Maybe even at times it causes us to puff up with self-righteousness. Don't I deserve better? Shouldn't I have more? I mean, look at me. And the reality is, Isaiah says on our best day, our righteousness is as filthy rags. So the answer is no. But what makes us different, what sets us apart, is Jesus dwelling in you. Incarnate deity coming to dwell in us. And this was his gift.
the most perfect gift. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, is what I'll leave you with. The Apostle Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, uh, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You see, everything about this scene was ordinary except Jesus. The most extraordinary thing that any of us could accept. What he does is he takes uh, common circumstances, common scenarios, common people, and he makes them absolutely extraordinary. And what I want to encourage you today this morning, on this Christmas morning, is that if you are feeling like that, if you're feeling uh, looked past, uh, looked over, that people have just uh, glossed past you, perhaps you feel like you are completely full of slop with absolutely nothing to offer. Here's the offer. Jesus wants to dwell in you. He wants to make you absolutely extraordinary. And the only thing you have to do is ask. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you for a beautiful Christmas story. Thank you, Lord, so much for the manger. Thank you, Lord, that this object that is often overlooked and just passed by becomes the, mo the most beautiful, serene setting in all the manger scene because you were there. Thank you, Lord, for being present with us. Thank you for coming to live among us, for giving your life for us. Father, would you now give us the strength to just simply accept you? Not because we're so righteous or we're so awesome or we've got it all together, but just simply because you desire to dwell in us. That our lack of righteousness, what Isaiah 61 would go to say is that you will give us your righteousness, a robe of righteousness. Father, we gladly and yet humbly accept your robe of righteousness. Thank you so much for this Christmas morning. Thank you so much for these kids who have sat and listened. Thank you, Lord, for these parents and grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents that saw fit to bring their kids out to honor you, Lord. We're so thankful for the place you put us. We're thankful that you can take common people and common circumstances and make them completely and totally uncommon on this Christmas day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.